I would like us to make an observation around the context of adultery. So what we want to observe is who's committing adultery when they are, when there's a divorce. What I would also want us to do is to go through briefly on the realities of how and what people are dealing with when they deal with divorce and who should be dealing with that. And we'll cover a bit on the emotional aspect of that. So if the sound is not as best, just bear with us our realities that we are doing as best as we can. So why don't you join us in prayer and we trust God that regardless of the technical glitches, we will get what God has for us tonight. Amen. So our Heavenly Father, we thank you in the mighty and precious name of Jesus Christ. We thank you that, Lord, you hear us, you answer us, that in all things you have covered us. And so for what we want to talk about, Lord, we want to capture your heart. We want to hear you speak to us. We want clarity, Lord. And we don't want to be insensitive, but we want to be truthful as much as we want to be gracious, Lord. So we ask you that you lead us tonight, that you guide us, that Holy Spirit, you help us to propound and, and, and speak well and speak godly on matters that relate to divorce. And even as it is our desire to help others, Lord, grant us the spirit of wisdom as to what it means to, to be helpful, Lord, in the mighty and precious name of Jesus Christ. So we thank you, Lord, and we bless your name. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty and precious name. Amen. Amen. Saints, thank you for coming. Uh, I like what the Mfongo uh, uh, said, that when you are at home, you try to deal with the glitches. When you come here, it's dark. So, But needless to say, we, we will continue. We will try our best to come up with a better recording later. But as you prepare your questions, you know, I'm still waiting for that question. So as you prepare your questions, uh, one of the questions that I, 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 I'm not going to answer it for you, but I'm going to let us read scripture and answer it so that we formulate an understanding. A lot of people have extreme views around divorce and remarriage. And as I said yesterday, some of our views as strong as they may be, do not necessarily reflect the heart of God. And some of them may not necessarily mean we are wrong in what we are thinking, but the challenge might just be how we approach the matter. So what I'm hoping to do is firstly answer this question. Who commits adultery? 
in the context of divorce. And I want you to, to read with me from the book of Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 to 32. Remember yesterday we asked the question, is this commission of adultery an event? Is it something that is pardonable? Is it something that happens and like any other sin can be forgiven? Or is this a perpetual thing that when you have done it, you can't get out of it? Amen. So I want us to, to read some of the the scriptures that talk about adultery and divorce. Let's start with adultery. We are in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. It says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. So the, the, the instruction was against adultery. It was, and if you, if you, you have read well, you would understand that People were not necessarily stoned for a life of adultery. They were stoned for the commission of adultery. In other words, like that woman, it is said she was caught in the act of adultery and therefore the person was to be stoned. So it is, it is unthinkable that in the context of the Old Testament, you would have lived a life of adultery for an extended time without being stoned. Because as soon as you were caught committing adultery, there was not like, okay, we will stone you after five events of committing adultery. You would have been stoned at the very point of being caught in the act of adultery. I hope that makes sense. So which means in the Old Testament, when they were stoning you, they were not stoning you for the life of adultery. They were stoning you for the, stoning you for the act of adultery. So Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, the question that we had asked in the past is, do we have a different application to the understanding of adultery in so far as the way committing adultery is concerned? So in the Old Testament, we hear that a person would commit an act of adultery, they would be stoned. So Jesus is making a reference to that reality, says, in you have heard that that was how it was. Then he comes and he says, but I tell you that if anyone looks lustfully, now let's apply the same logic to this. How long can you look lustfully at someone? Can you have a lifestyle of looking at someone passing in the street lustfully for it to be a perpetual lifestyle of adultery? Obviously, that's also unthinkable. What Jesus is basically implying is that you are in the moment, you are looking at the person lustfully, and therefore he says you have committed adultery. By implication, if I have committed adultery and that adultery is informed by looking at that person, when I have stopped looking at the person lustfully, so two things should happen. 
One is I have stopped looking, and the other one is the last is gone. Am I still committing adultery in that context? Well, by implication, the answer is no. So tomorrow, if I'm just walking around, am I an adulterer in the context of what Jesus said? Well, it doesn't make sense because he had, he had not said, when you look at the woman lustfully, you become a, a perpetual adulterer. He says you commit adultery. So we want to apply the same logic. The same logic, we're going to read the verses, and some of the verses may imply something different to the logic that we are, we are using. But I want you to think about that, that people were not stoned for lifestyles, perpetual lifestyles of adultery. The lights have just come back. So he says, it is better for you to lose part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, here's the problem. Is Jesus literally saying we must cut our eyes uh, and our hands? I would imagine if he says so, many of us in this room, not to mention those at home, would have been maimed by now. So we are happy to say it's a figure of speech, right? Okay. Now let's, so from that understanding of adultery goes into divorce. So this is where I want you to join me in making your own interpretation of what he's saying. We'll, we'll read what he says as recorded in Matthew. We'll look at Mark and then we'll look at Luke. He's still propounding ideas from the Old Testament. Remember, he says, it was said, it was written, therefore I say, it was written. Now here, he's also saying, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. This we know was said in Deuteronomy 24, isn't it? He says, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness. Now, we spoke about the fact that this marital unfaithfulness translated sexual immorality. In Arab context, translated adulterous living. Listen to who becomes or commits adultery. Because that's what I want you to follow, right? It says, causes her to become an adulteress. Are you following? The one who divorces causes the divorced in this context to be the adulteress. Now remember, they are going to be an adulteress on the basis of getting married to someone else as we read yesterday. But then it says, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. So at this point, we have 
the person who marries a divorced person. And then we have a divorced person. We are not at this point told anything about the one who initiated the divorce. Right? So, but now, on the two sides, we know that the one who's going to marry the divorced commits adultery. And the one who gets married post being divorced has been made an adulteress in the process of being married. I get it, Now, let's go to, we're in Matthew chapter 5. Let's go to the one that we read in Matthew chapter 19. Right? Let's start from verse 3. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Having to read, he replied that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. When they asked, did why then they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you, now listen. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, and marries another woman, commits adultery. Did you follow that? Who's now committing adultery? The one who has divorced right so now we have three people who in the context of the divorce itself now this is at you know what those those people who do economics etc paribas all things remaining the same all things remaining equal we are not asking who's wrong and what are the merits right we are simply looking at what the Bible then connotes as one being involved in adultery as a result of divorce. So now it says the one who divorces, except for, an, for marital unfaithfulness, and marries another woman, commits adultery. So we don't know about this other woman Who's, being get, who's getting married. But we know that if the other guy marries a divorced woman, he'd be committing adultery. Now, by implication, we should, in a sense, undertake to say, it is very likely that even that one who gets married to the divorced also commits adultery is made to become adulterous in the process. Is that, isn't that the logic? Okay, let's go to Mark chapter 10. Remember, 
we are not talking about whether remarriage and all these things are good or bad. We are only following the logic because we are trying to help people to formulate their views in a healthy manner, right? We are in Mark chapter 10. It's, it's the same account as the one that we, we read in Matthew 19. So this time, let's take it from verse two. The, the question is phrased this way. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for men to divorce his wife? What does Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Now we already, remember where we read, we have already read that Jesus says, but I say, right? It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote to this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer one but two. Rather, they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. So this is a, a, it's a second encounter with the question because the question was asked by the Pharisees, right? And Jesus explained when they were somewhere home, the disciples asked the same question. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commit adultery against her. Who's the head? The wife. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. So it would seem, therefore, all things remaining the same. Everyone who gets involved with remarriage post-divorce commits adultery. At least according to, let, let, let's, let's see what Luke, Luke has to say about this. In Luke 16, 18. In Luke 16, 18, this is Jesus speaking again. It says, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman, commits adultery. And the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So, then we go back to the question. If everyone is by implication involved in adultery, should anyone who's divorced be remarried? So, so now, that takes us back to the question I asked again. Is this commission an event or a life? The commissions we've read of adultery so far, None of it was a lifestyle. We read about 
minister who took meeting which was not a lifestyle. We read about committing adultery with your eyes, which is not necessarily a, a lifestyle. It's you looking at someone lustful. Does the, the interpretation change? Do we now say, okay, if this person commits adultery, it means they live perpetually in adultery. That's question number one. We repeat the question we asked yesterday. Does it mean whatever they are doing cannot be forgiven or it shouldn't be forgiven? Are you there? There's a word that has been used becoming an adulterer. It's not committing an adultery, it's becoming. That's the part that we want to. I asked the same question yesterday. That, but remember, that word used in the context of everything we read, it was used for the woman, where it says uh, she, he's making her become an adulteress. You understand? Now, become in this context still has the two implications. For instance, if I go and steal something, in the context of what I have done, I have become a thief. Do you understand? Then the question then comes. You see, you understand, I can become a thief as a label of perpetuality. You know when you say someone, that person is a thief. Which means when I see them, whether they are stealing or not stealing, they are thieves, right? In a similar token, if you steal my phone, I can still say to you, you are a thief. Do you have to steal 10 more phones before I call you a thief? No. Are you following? Okay. So which means when we make a stance or when we choose how we are going to deal with remarrying people or judging, making a, a pronouncement on people who have divorced, it means we must first make a pronouncement on whether we say this is an event or an occurrence or a perpetual thing. Right? Okay, then let's flip the, 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 the thinking. The thinking now, we go to the, the, the one that we, 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 we looked at in Romans chapter 7. We're looking at what the Bible calls the law of marriage. The law of marriage is covered in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. But let's just cover it quickly. In Romans chapter seven, I'm reading from verse one. It says, do you not know brothers? For I am speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound. Remember the word bound, isn't it? To her husband as long as he's alive. 
But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. The law of marriage dictates that you must stay married and until you die. And therefore you can't just decide I'm enough. Then he, he expounds further. He says, so then if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. Are we getting back to the same event perpetuity thing now? Ne? But if her husband dies, she is released. Another version says she is free from the law. Which law? The law of marriage. And is not an adulteress, even though she marries another, another man. Right? Okay, let's now go to First Corinthians. We've read these things. I just want us to think about this law of marriage. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we read verse 10. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. What is that? That is the law of marriage, right? And then it says, but if she does, she must what? She must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. He's basically repeating the law of marriage, right? Okay. Let's leave that and go to verse 27 of the same chapter. It says now, Okay, let's start it from, from where he allows divorce. we taking it from verse 13. And if a woman has a husband who's not a believer and is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But, but as it is, they are holy. Now listen to verse 15. But if the unbeliever lives, what does that mean? Remember, the context of the discussion is do not divorce a person, whether they are unbelievers or believers, right? But it says, but if the unbeliever lives, so put into the context, it should then say, but if the unbeliever divorces, it says, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. When it says it's not bound, what is it referring to? The release from the law of marriage. In other words, it says you are free, but you see the problem now is this. The husband or the wife is not dead. But it accords the person the same freedom of from the law of marriage as the one whose spouse is dead. And then it says, 
for in such circumstances, you are free. You are not bound. God has called us to live in peace. What do you make of that last statement? God has called us to live in what? In peace. Why would they make such a statement? Because this person is divorcing, right? What is it that the believer would be pursuing such that they don't live in peace? Because remember, as a believer, I'm told not to divorce this person if they are willing. What about my peace? Because there are many implications. It doesn't mean the person would be bad. Do you understand? It could mean anything, but it is apparent that these people were told do not divorce Likely because they felt I should divorce someone that I do not share the same values and visions and faith with. Right? So they are told, do not divorce them. Why? Stick to the law of marriage. But if they divorce you, you are accorded the same freedom as the one whose spouse is dead. Let's go to verse 27. Now, when you are not used to these things, it says, Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. We are not interested in not looking for a wife. Well, maybe we should. I don't know. But here's the point the point is, it says, There is a law of marriage, right? from which you are free when your spouse dies. And then it makes this uh, commentary. It says, when that is the case, you are not an adulteress or an adulterer. That one is clear, right? But if the same privilege of freedom is accorded a person whose spouse is an an unbeliever and decides to divorce. Am I wrong or right to say the same person? Because remember, you are free as the person who's free through death of the spouse. Can we call this, let's call him or her a victim of divorce by the unbeliever? when they remarry an adulteress or an adulterer. But did it say uh, she, 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 she only can marry again or they said he must live in peace? No, let's go back to Romans. Let's go back to Romans so that we understand the application. It says, So then, okay, let's start. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he's alive, right? But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then, 
If she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. I'm talking about that one. That's the whole point. The point I'm bringing to you is this, is that the unbeliever who leaves this person, this person is the victim of divorce. And the Bible says that person is free from the law of marriage, which means she is free or he is free as much as the one whose spouse died. Are you following? Then the question I'm saying to, if she's afforded the same freedom, right? is by implication also vindicated from being called an adulterer or adulteress. Because remember, those other ones that we read about before, they are not free. They were still bound by the law of marriage. This one is no longer bound by the law of marriage. Yes, but that's, that's a secondary part. So let's deal with this person as a, because we have to answer that question. So this person is vindicated. We can't say they are adulterers. So then it's a problem if we come with a blanket approach to say, no, 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 everyone is an adulterer or an adulteress. Are you following what I'm saying? So now, this person, after they have, they are free. Their peace is not just a peace of heart. It's a peace from the bond of the law of marriage. Are we still there? So now, this person wants to remarry. And they find some virgin, some unmarried woman, whatever the case may be, and they marry them. What do we say to that? Do we say hey, you were divorced? They are free. Let's take that scenario. Then they decide, remember, we are still talking all things equal. We are not trying to put what has happened or what has not happened. Now they decide I'm going to marry a divorcee. Then what? According to? Yes. You understand the implication? Because now we were told that this person is free, but the other person who is divorced that time, if they get married to this one, despite this one being free, because you would have been an adult, you would have committed adultery, even if you were not married before, if you marry a divorcee. Are you still there, sir? So then I come back to the question of 
Yes. So, so now, if we are to take an approach, if we are to take a legalistic approach, because remember, whether you are legalistic or grace, you still have to, to abide by scripture, right? But your, your application must be informed by the proper, even if it's an improper, but you must have had some interpretation of scripture to come to that conclusion. So from what we read, it would seem none of the people, unless this one who's free from the law of marriage, would have, our interpretation is that the commission of adultery is a state of being, a perpetual state. No one should remain. No one should be allowed to remarry. No one. No one. There's another problem. In the area of someone getting divorced, now it's, it comes to a point where someone who is divorcing another, we perceive that the person is a believer. And now he decides to divorce the other person. And then this person is now still bound by the law of marriage with the idea that the person who must that is a believer while somehow, somehow, somewhere this person has been a woman <laughs> and I, I see a big problem here that sometimes we say that the person is still bound because he is divorced by a believer no, no, let's go to what Jesus says. Jesus does not say anything about believers. Jesus talks into marriage as an institution. Remember, nowhere Jesus mentioned a believer. As a matter of fact, even the people who asked him didn't ask him as believers. They asked this question from the law. So, hence I'm saying, if our interpretation of committing adult, because remember, the law of marriage has nothing to do with believer or unbeliever. The law of marriage comes all the way, Old Testament coming this way, but it was broken. Hence, people were, were divorcing. You know, you know that's, remember what Jesus says. Jesus says, no, 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 no. It was not meant to be so from there beginning. They, from the beginning, they were meant to be one flesh and never to be separated. That's the law of marriage. Yeah, so, so th these are the things that people... So the question basically is in a sense, Jesus has not said anything about uh, 
believers and non-believers. Precisely because the question of divorcing someone on the grounds of faith was irrelevant. Because then everyone was just Jews. You understand? There was not a question. Their divorce was either hard, hard detesting this woman, finding something unclean within the context of their Jewish beliefs. So now, having had this, um, having had this now, so um, <laughs> that getting uh, to the marriage with people see, and now I understand the point. But then, then you find yourself in that situation as a person who kind of you think you knew about it, but the way now it is being said and it's heard, you kind of like. Oh no, okay. So now you are already in it. What's that? Yeah, you see that the question you are asking for those at home, the question basically says, I probably may have thought I understood what it means to, in a sense, to marry post-divorce. I'm right, post-divorce. And then I discover that based on what it is apparent, remember, I'm not saying anything. I'm just allowing you to, to interpret yourself. Remember, Minama question said, what if? Because a lot of people who have strong stance use these verses, but they have not answered the question I'm posing to you. Is it an occurrence or a state of being? Because if it is a state of being, then no one should remarry. Because then there would be adulterers and adulteresses the rest of their lives. Which then also has problems when it comes to the work of the cross. Because it implies that what they are going through, they cannot repent. And they cannot, there's no reforming because the blood of Christ has not covered their situation. So which means then we are saying, no, 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 no. There are other sins that remain perpetual and unpardonable and unrepentant such that when you have entered that zone, when you are not even able to sing, when are you following my thinking? So which means then we are the ones who say the blood of Jesus, its efficacy has limitations to what it can do for the human race. And that's what we are saying. If we say a person, let me, let me put it this way to you. People who have lustful thoughts, who suffer from lust, right? What does Jesus say? If you look at, you commit, right? But there are people who, have, who suffer from spirit of lust, right? There are people who, as Christians, they lie every day without even repenting, right? And these people, we say they are believers, right? 
Does the work of the cross cover their character flaws and their weaknesses such that if this person who's a lustful person dies, are they going to hell or to heaven? They, no, they're struggling with sin. No. No, remember what I said. They are suffering from spirit of lust, which means by implication, they need deliverance. Therefore, it's a struggle for them. How many people, let's put it in the open. How many people do we have in the church who smoke? A lot. And have been smoking. And they love God. But they struggle with smoking. How many do we have who struggle with drinking? So if we can... (laughs) There's a few of us right here, right? If we were to just cumulatively put our struggles together, the things that we have not found victory in, called there's anger, there's jealousy, there's pride, there's all these things, right? So, and these are the things we commit daily. So I'm saying to us, what do we say about ourselves and our struggles in the light of what Christ has done on the cross of Calvary. See, see that's the thing. That we, we are able to continue and say, yeah, the Lord will cut, we, you, you, your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. Really, do you really believe that when it comes to others who have divorced? Or you believe it only when it applies to you? Yeah. <laughs> but it's hard. <laughs> the whole point of this thing is make you realize that you can't just come and make a pronouncement on something. Remember yesterday I said you must differentiate between a stance and dealing with things. You understand? As I stand here, I told you yesterday, my stance is anti-divorce. That's my stance. But in dealing with divorce, I need to apply myself in the light of how God applies himself to sin. What did we say? God punishes sin and God pardons sin. How do I know what is he going to do with any particular sin at any given time? I don't. Hence the example I made yesterday that other people lied, they lived. Other people died after just lying. Can I ask a question then? Because based on your stance and not knowing how God will deal with these people we don't want to be 
people like Jesus said he must be the process he must be the question if, if you are at home is whether I would officiate a wedding of people that have divorced there's an addition to it. Based on how you go through all dealings with these people. I, I actually answered the question yesterday, but I'll I'll get back to it. I want to answer the question because that was part of my question. Uh, for a, uh, okay, I give it away. You said yesterday, uh, God hates sins, but He also pardons sin. But my question for a, like everything, as it has been said, does it change the 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 law of the marriage, the only way you can get for it. If you if you divorce and marry a person, or if you marry a person who is divorced, you become an adulterer or adulteress. Does that change? And then if I go either to this point, if I go to somebody, if that because I give it what I had it, for I was saying for it. Yes, the way is it's clear and straightforward. Are we going to use this thing for a God also pardon? And I think yesterday you, you said something like you will investigate. Um, That's why I say I answered that yesterday. Yes, you will investigate. Okay, maybe you investigate to get those stories for why of divorcing. But my question for it does it change for it? God said. If you marry a divorced person, you are a whether, but it, I think it's one of the other who question to put my question that the woman believe I live to choose you. Let me help you. Because now I'm like, <laughs> let, 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 let me help you and help those at home. Yeah. Because you are all avoiding to answer the question I asked. Then you struggle. Is this an event or a perpetual sin? So you see, that's where that's where you you are all going to differ. Then that's why churches are. You see, as you are divided on that. That's why churches are divided on that answer. Sure. Because for me, if if I am divorced, that I divorce my husband, yeah, and then I go with yeah. another another person, yeah. I don't think that person for me it's not going to change for me to some poor So this for me it's gonna be a continuous thing. That's that, that's what I'm that, that's the feeling I get for it. If I get divorced and marry another person, that person will forever be an adult. And yeah, so, 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 so you see, once you get to that, this is where the issue of divorce, that's why all of you, everywhere, all over the world, people are separated along those lines. Hence, I'm asking you, <laughs> if let, let, then let's let's apply ourselves to the two scenarios. 
I said to you, if we say it's a perpetual state, then nobody should remain. You understand? Then, once we say nobody should remarry, we are then, by implication, saying there's another sin that is unpardonable and unrepentable. In other words, we are saying there is something when you have done, you can't undo because, and this is what we imply, Jesus can cover any other sin you may have done, except this one. Okay. We all know that Jesus' blood is not limited. Okay, unless we have been talked from the future. But I want to also understand that when God gives us his word, his commands to live by, particularly where we just like this weekend. Do we take his way as supreme? Or do we do we um now have to find passages? Because we have to find a way to, to be able to accommodate um certain things in the name of saying a my Lord naming Jesus on the cross again. I don't want to that so, what he has said, because now when I am complicated by it, people are young confused. So, what we, we, what we have read today is that the way we should take home and, and uphold as very people. So, I'm asking that. The second question I want to ask you, the stance you have made about, even as a church, anti divorce. What informs that stance? You know these things you're asking me, I said them yesterday. Oh, thank you, sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yesterday. Yesterday. It calls for us to think of that best that says, now he will be tasted and whatever, whatever, if he continues to see. And presence many Jesus to the past. So the question that I, I come to now on that one, who are the people that we say have tasted? Because that's what the scripture is about. Yeah, no, that, that's a because different debate altogether. Okay. That that one is a it, that one is about apostates, it's not about divorce. But let's go back to the idea of divorce. Let's follow the thinking. Because I, I said yesterday, you cannot, in making a stance, take a stance against what God has made the stance for. So what is God's stance? He says, from the beginning, it was not so. And we, we, we showed yesterday in Proverbs 6 that God says, Six things I hate, seven things I detest. We read them. And we spoke about the fact that this is God expressing hatred about something, which also includes him hating divorce. So when God says, I hate lying, 
How different is I hate lying from I hate divorce? It's not different. How is God dealing with all the things that he said he hates? Now, let's go back to the, the process we've taken since we started. The very same God who says, I hate divorce, gave a law that allows divorce. Does that allowance and tolerance, does it mean he doesn't hate divorce anymore? No. So which means his stance on his hatred on divorce has not changed. Hence the Bible says Jesus came with full of truth and grace. So his grace does not cancel his truth. Are you following? Now, when you come out of the Old Testament into the New, in the Old Testament, he made it clear that an adulterer, now remember, here's where I need you to go back home and apply yourselves because at this point, you came with, no, you came with a stance, but you are not aware that you are not applying yourself to what the scriptures say. If in the Bible, in the Old Testament, when it said an adulterer, it was not referring to a lifestyle. Hence the person, that's why I started by saying, hence the person who was either called as an adulterer, caught, that person would be killed immediately. So the Old Testament does not have an understanding of a perpetual lifestyle of adultery. Its understanding is that if a person commits adultery, they must be stoned. Hence, that woman, when she was brought to Christ, she was not brought because, no, she was caught. And so they say, the law states that she must be stoned. They were not going to stone her, as I said, after five adulterous events. No, they were going to stone her immediately. For which act? For the one she was caught for. Whether it's the first time. So even if when you are living adulterous life, but nobody catches you, the day they catch you, you are done. If you are doing it for the first time, if they catch you, why? Because God had forbidden adultery. You understand? So hence I was saying to you, if you bring that understanding, Jesus then also says to you, you commit adultery when you look. Hence, the, I was trying to clarify to you that there's no sense of perpetual looking. You look, you commit. And at the point of you committing that, that's when the term adulter is applied to you. Are you still following? Now, when we come to a point where we now say um, this person 
lives a life of adultery. It means we are insinuating that the act of adultery as it was committed could not be pardoned. I don't know if I'm good So are you saying uh, the, the divorced person can marry Today and then recovery is committing adults to do that adult to be two days. Let's take a simple example. If you have a child of out of wedlock, right? We say this child is a, is a result of sin. And there's no question about it. What should be our treatment of this child? Should we treat them as an outcome of sinful act and therefore there's a perpetuity of a view of their lives as sinful. Or we say, you have committed a sin as the person who bore this child, yeah. right? Can a person who's pregnant out of sin repent? Can they of that act? You are surprising me. <laughs> they, they are carrying the very child of the sinful act. And you are saying they can repent to the extent that this child, remember what God said. He said, when you divorce, right? <laughs> When, when, when you are at home, you must know it's very hot in here. Things that you generously that you have every day and the things to food 
suffering now, and all the things that I mentioned of sin and getting babies before marriage and things like that. And they will come back again. Nothing when I really feel that you want. And it's saying to me, if I go through this divorce, I must remain unmarried. If you are telling me all of that, I need to go back to my husband who's still alive and reconcile with him. Am I going to ignore that because people are having babies before marriage? People are going to know now. People are doing all those things every day. That if I need some clothes, that's all right as well. What is the story about them? That's well. You know, I'm sticking to this, 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 the way I'm married. Which night we have read very nicely. Hey, that's, that's, that's my old point. That is You see, okay, wait, 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 wait. The answer, the question is clear. The problem that you are having is that you are ignoring the other flip side of that. I gave you two scenarios. The other scenario says a person can still be divorced and right. And then we had we have asked this question: Is this person? vindicated and then what did we say yes right so now the the part that you and i are struggling with is this is that when a a a, a clause was made we read three things one says where jesus spoke he says when the divorced person marries to another, they commit adultery, right? Now, what is your reading of that? Is your reading of that? Now, remember the other one is an expansion on the first one. I've read you three different expansions from yesterday. Yesterday I read you an expansion that says a person can be married Divorce, remarry, but not go back to their first husband. Yeah. We read that one. Yes. Coming from the same law of marriage, right? Yes. So which means, remember, the law of marriage precedes all these things. Yeah. So now, then we read another one. The other one said, no, when you divorce, right? You should, if someone, let's start with the, the, the flip side of it. If someone marries a divorced person, right, commits adultery, right? Now, here's the question. Was that marriage in itself? forbidding in a sense that we are already told that it is actually 
acknowledge it. Because it says, if someone marries, are you following? I am divorced. I marry someone. The Bible does not say I'm not married. It says in marrying, which it acknowledges as marriage, I'm committing adultery. Are you following? That in itself does not nullify the marriage because it says I am married. I'm marrying this person. Now, the debate that you and the rest of us are then struggling with is this. Is that what we cannot deny, let me just tell you what we cannot deny based on what we have read. What we cannot deny is that whether this is commission of adultery or not, that marriage is recognized. Yes. That's the language. That marriage is recognized, hence it is adjudged as adultery. Are you following? So by implications, therefore, we cannot say, no, 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 these people are not married. Happiness. Now we deal with this aspect of adultery and not married. So then it says, let this person who's divorced not marry. Why? Why does it say that? Because remember, then let not this person marry follows an understanding that Jesus has already told us that if you marry a divorced person, you commit adultery. Are you following? So now, why does it say, do not marry. It follows by implication that if you marry, you what? Commit adultery. Committing adultery does not nullify the marriage. Hence, we go back to that question that I asked again. Is this adultery that is committed a state or an act? Because, because it is important we go to, I mean, I come from a church where my home church, you would not remarry. Once you are divorced, that's it. Police. Until the debate started. And the debates are the ones I'm putting before you to say, okay, can a person who marries a divorcee be pardoned the act of adult? <laughs> no, but I think I'm getting more confused. Maybe I'm angry now. I'm angry now. Let me. I think um, from 
you know, because I think I'm getting more and more confused by does God kind of see is this an event, is this a ritual thing? Like now I'm thinking when these people are blessed, they are they you are pronouncing a blessing on their marriage. What is that? Is that an event of adultery that you are blessing? You know, like people say it's an event. Is that an event that's being blessed, but it's an adulterous? Is God blessing that? Because you say the Bible acknowledges that marriage. What is, what is that? Like, I'm just getting confused even more. Thank you very much for the that, 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 that. <laughs> Yes, if I, if I remember, there's, there are other questions we just. <laughs> Um, maybe let's touch Maybe I'm not saying anything. I'm saying. <laughs> I've been telling you all this time. I'm not saying anything. I'm giving you scriptures to interpret. So that when you deal with people, I think people expect us to give answers. Mm-hmm. I am and I <laughs> <laughs> I answered it yesterday, but I'll answer it again. <laughs> I did. I actually went as far as giving you the cases I won't do. I still remember. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a scripture where Paul said, um, this all this um, sins and sins, this poor man who had the kingdom of God. And he says, some of you we saw adultery is, is, is one of them. So, according to my understanding, is it is a sin that um, God can forgive. But however, this issue of debate is, we can, we can never easily solve it. For me, it's you as an individual probably have to take a position for yourself after having made all the options. So, uh, for, for those at home, let me just repeat what has just been said. Because that's precisely where I want you to get. A lot of you want the church to to say, um, if you divorce, but you see the problem with that particular stance and expectation from church leaders is because it takes for granted many other things that scripture has to say about God's dealings with his people. In other words, the reason yesterday I showed you very clearly that what God hates, he hates. 
Okay, let's put it this way. Thou shall not lie. Right? Thou shall not what? Thou shall not marry. Thou shall not steal. Thou shall not uh, envy your neighbor's wife, his cows. It's, thou shall not, thou shall not, thou shall not. Thou. So God hates any of those things when done. And that's his stance. Are you following? And he has made those things very clear, like you say. The problem is they are only black and white when they don't apply to us. <laughs> because as we sit here now, everything that I've just mentioned is everything that God says, I hate this thing. Don't do it. Are you following? And Jesus came to resolve the things that he says, don't do them, but you do them. Are you, are you following my thinking? So for me, it's not a question of this thing is black and white. It's a question of how does God in truth and grace deals with us based on what he has put there as black and white. Hence, I said to you yesterday, for me, for those who want to know my stance, my stance is that, firstly, I'm anti-divorce, right? But unlike most people, and unashamedly so, I'm the kind that understands Jesus came with, with truth and grace. And that in what he has categorically stated that we shouldn't do, we do. And that is why we need a savior. And that is why a savior has come to ensure that even the things that rule, now we condemn ourselves about, he's able to graciously deal with us on those issues. Therefore, if you ask me, would I officiate a, a marriage of a divorcee? Yes and no. And on merit, I told you the merit, that there has to be a level of repentance of what has happened. Yesterday, I showed you the hardness of heart issues that lead to divorce, right? So these are the things we need to talk into as we apply grace. Unless you are saying to me, Jesus was wrong in ensuring that despite her guilt and her due condemnation to be stoned, he allowed her to live. He didn't break the law to make her live, but he ensured that grace allows her to live. And so for me, I don't, in my heart of hearts, I'm there with you. You know, in my heart of heart, I've been the person who says, no, when they are, they shouldn't. But when I read scripture and I look at how Jesus deals with these things, I find it hard 
to simply say no. I'd rather, like Jesus says, okay, he who has no sin, let them cast the first stone. But it's funny. Jesus didn't pardon everyone. Now, are you following what I'm saying? Is God unfair? God is fair. He didn't pardon everyone who did the same things that he pardoned on others. And that's my stance. I get you asking me, my personal stance. Yes. I, 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 also, I also get you now, and I just want to return to Hanyan. As Christian, because I'm thinking now, for why am I separating sins? You know, like I said before, for jealousy and things like that. I'm starting to ask myself, how is God? Because I don't know how God does. Am I sure who didn't separate when he judges? Or uh, when I do a jealousy, when I had a child before marriage, when I get this and this and this. But my last point is would you want to support this guy that you have? Yes. Because things happen and then can you would you want to say grace up for this guy that you know? And then he said, So, yeah. if God can help us for a Besides what you said, um, one of the things I had hoped we would cover, we, we, we did the law of marriage. Uh, we'll see. I'll, I'll chat with the team what is covenant. The problem is when you are not taught properly about covenant, then you take marriage like, you understand? But 
In any context of any discussion, as Banabamudi, we should be mindful of this. When we talk one truth, ne? the truths of God don't cancel one another. Are you following? If we're talking about grace, grace, the Bible says, the grace that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. But you see, the funniest thing is that that same grace, when sin abounds, that grace abounds even more. So which means we must, as people of truth, find truth sufficient to keep us afloat and holy. We understand. Hence for me, I would take, I told you, I, I use the word investigate. You won't just come to me and say, I was divorced, I want to marry again. Because already as you come to me, my default stances you shouldn't have. Therefore, that's the part I want to dig into, lest I enable your ungodly tendencies. You see, another thing that you have to hear out of these discussions is that we, we don't want people to divorce and people shouldn't divorce. The problem is people do divorce. And then we have to deal with those things. So there's so many questions that people are asking. We'll, we'll answer the questions, other questions tomorrow. Let me just ask, answer the simple ones. <laughs> now the other, one is, the other ones are straightforward. We have, I agree we are supposed to be done by nine. So the, uh, is divorce only applicable to a, a woman? The answer is no, right? And so divorce is applicable to both, again. The other one says, if a man is to request to take a second wife, which you as a first wife are not okay with and say you leave him, is that man married to the second wife or he's just married? Now, you do understand that now we are dealing with two contexts. We are dealing with polygamy and divorce, right? So as far as divorce is concerned, this person is remarried. Because remember, this person is not just in the context of the question, you, when you leave that, that the man who says he wants a second wife will decide, I'm, I'm out of this. So in, in a sense, you divorce the person. Therefore, the person would be remarried. Right? Now, polygamy is there in the Bible, isn't it? The bigger question that we should ask about polygam is that was that God's idea 
for human beings. Was it? So there are two debates, and I'll tell you why there are debates. It's semantics, but it's up to you to decide. The Bible says, let each man have his own wife. Ne? So people who play divorce and monogamy play along these lines. The monogamy say, the verses let each man have his own wives, wife or wives, wife, one, right? The polygamists then come and say, the covenant of marriage is between two people. Therefore, even in a polygamous institution, the covenant is not between the husband and the wives. It's between the husband and each wife. Are you following the logic of the polygamist? Whether you agree with it or not, that's a different story. But the point is, if you are leaving the person, that person is divorced. I get another one. And then, what is marriage? This one will answer it tomorrow if the divorce lawyer does not come. Okay. The other one says, I should ask, is there a biblical reference on a woman divorcing a man? We've read it. Eh? In First Corinthians 7, and we also read it in Luke. Okay, let me hear this one. In the previous series, we touched on ego and pride as the possible causes of divorce. What is the difference between men's ego and pride? Is there something called healthy ego? Does that exist according to God? From First Peter 3, 1 to 7, probably the rest of the chapter, does it mean that if a husband disobeys God's way in any way, including adultery, physical abuse, etc.? The wife is expected by God to continue devoting herself to her husband. Is, uh, is it godly for wives to be feminists? So I'm going to try and answer this quickly and then we can do the rest tomorrow. What is feminism? Or chauvinism? Put simply, if the, remember feminism as a principle and as a study has different schools of thoughts. But if feminism means this, if feminism means women are, are to compete with men to prove that they can do what men you can do, then feminism is ungodly, if that's what it means. If feminism means that um, women should usurp headship over men, then feminism is ungodly. So basically, Christians should neither be feminists nor chauvinists, they should be biblicists, because we have 
biblical manhood and a biblical womanhood. I get what I'm saying. So, in a sense, it is said, for instance, for us to think based on how we were socialized and culturized, because culture and all these things, all these philosophies don't in themselves represent what the Bible represents at heart. So in women and men, according to the Bible, have different roles. They were designed different. They are equal in value before God, but they don't have the same roles before God. Therefore, to try and make the two compete is nonsensical. Because God has not made them to compete. He made them to complement one another. Hence, I will make him a suitable helper, not a suitable competitor. <laughs> so if, 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 if feminism is an ideology of making a woman a competitor to a man, we can talk, we will talk about biblical womanhood and, and what was the other one? It says, should a woman still continue to devote herself to her husband regardless of all these things that he may have done, adultery, physical abuse, and so on and so forth. So yesterday we spoke, I wrote you a long list of what I call, what constitutes the hardness of a man's heart. Out of the heart comes adulterous thoughts, murderers, and blah, 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 blah. Whilst I cannot say to you, divorce him, I would simply say to you, there are two things people have a prerogative to do about the state of their marriages. One is to pray for their marriage partners. Two is to take a prerogative to decide whether they, they get out or not. But this is not something we can tell you. Like I said yesterday, I've seen people abuse. In my mind, this is going to end if someone died. You understand? So I would even go as far as saying, how <laughs> for your safety because I value life you understand but in that process I won't necessarily say divorce it. but if I was to tell you honestly what I think I would say divorce the guy but since it's not my place to say that I would, in consideration of your safety, say, So in that case, okay, the last one simply says, is the ego one. And pride. Um, Let's put it this way. If all of us talk about ego, generally, we don't actually even separate the two. But in essence, if we were to think about it, 
What is pride? Pride is essentially your view of other people in the light of your superiority. That is pride. So God says, he says, he calls it haughty eyes. Pride is called haughty, uh, uh, aloof eyes. Someone who looks lower because they esteem themselves high. Right? Then we come to the issue of ego. Now, what is ego? Properly understood. Ego is a desire plus a sense of achievement. Is a is a desire to achieve plus a, a a sense of gratification from achieving things. Are you following? So, which means human beings, all of us need that thing. You need to have a desire and ambition to achieve. And when you have achieved, you need to have a gratification. Like God said, it is good. Are you following? It becomes a problem when the supposed positive gratitude for achievement is actually used to undermine other people and see yourself as superior. Hence, once we start marrying the two, it's difficult to say he's egotistical, but he's not proud. You understand? But if we were to talk about natural accomplishments, everyone should be able to do something and then say it is good without necessarily comparing themselves with others. It becomes a problem if it is good and better than yours. It should be good because it brings me the gratification of having accomplished it. Does that make sense? I think it also makes sense for us to pray. (laughs) We have it has. Let's stand up. Uh, for those uh, listening at home, we had hoped that tomorrow we'll have our uh, a legal expert to come in. Uh, we wanted to address some of the issues. Some I had written them, but we could not get to them today. But we were hoping to get to the idea of legally what it means to divorce and what are the implications. So we'll cover some of the questions. If uh, our legal expert manages to come tomorrow, we'll give him or her that platform. If not, we will answer some of the questions that are raised here, and then we will touch on some of uh, the emotional issues that come with divorce and the practicalities that we need to be mindful of as we deal with people who have divorced. Thank you for tuning in as we pray. Thank you for making the studio session so fun. (laughs) So fun today. It was nice in the studio today. So.
let's just thank God. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for each and every one of us. As these issues are difficult, Lord, we do not claim to have all the answers. But as it were, we continue to seek your heart about these things, Lord. It is our prayer, repeatedly so, that whatever we endeavor to do, may it be done with a desire to be truthfully gracious and graciously truthful, Lord. That we do not go to the one side or the other, that we do not experience any pendulum swing away from your heart, Lord. We do not claim to be able to keep the, the straight line, but we trust your spirit to guide and lead us. And we also acknowledge that we cannot solve everyone's problems, neither can we give answers to everyone. But we pray that over these sessions, some people will get their healing, some will get their understanding, and that we will seek to bring healing to hurting families and marriages. But above all, Lord, that we may realize that divorce hurts you more than it hurts us because it is your law, it is your institution that is being undermined, that is being broken. And therefore, Lord, help us, especially those that are going through hard times, to earnestly seek you for their marriages and not take the easy way out. Help us to pray earnestly for our spouses. Help us to look deep into our hearts and ask, are we truly walking in love towards our spouses or we just see their mistakes? Help us to be godly, to be holy, to be loving, to be kind, to walk in the fullness of the fruit of the spirit. As we go home, Lord, put joy back in our hearts. Help us to laugh and talk frankly about things, but above all things, to seek to bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.